Hey, we got to witness a highly competitive basketball game on Saturday between two of the nation's top 15 teams. Unfortunately, one that North Carolina lost. Now, while all hope is not gone, this was a major missed opportunity for Carolina. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Monday, December 18th, 2023. Hard to believe it, but we are exactly a week away from Christmas Day. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you everydayers for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listener watch to get your team every day. For those of you that are brand new to the show, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. We'd love for you to come join the Locked on Tar Heels Discord chat, where we're talking Carolina stuff all the time. If you want to be part of that, a deeper level of this community, the link is in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college and use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy. Coming up on the show today, obviously we're going to unpack a big missed opportunity for the Tar Heels, including the Four Corners recap, the shady stat of the game. We're going to talk about how RJ Davis keeps rolling and look ahead to like, hey, what happens next? And by the way, we won't hit on everything today, but we're going to save some nuggets for tomorrow, including five fouls on Aaron Bradshaw, maybe? I don't know. Uh, so we'll look at those things on tomorrow's show as well. But let's just start by talking big picture takeaways. This was a phenomenal basketball game between two really strong and frankly, really similar basketball teams, despite uh, Kentucky's superior length and height that they had. Here's kind of where it's at. We walk away knowing that Carolina is a really good basketball team, one that's still finding some identity. But again, as we said after the UConn game, not quite elite. I don't know how you felt in the flow of this game, but I was uh, feeling that even when Carolina made their pushes, even when they got it to two at halftime, even when they took a one-point lead at one point down the stretch, I never really felt like Carolina was a threat to win the game. But it was like, but what if we could steal it? What if we could steal this win in a game where we've been doing things that Carolina either hasn't done this season or we don't expect them to do throughout the season? So it was one of those where it's like, ah, man, you're just right there. And in a game where you're not playing with your typical identity, you could steal a win against another top 15-ish team in the nation. But Carolina couldn't. Now, I said it on Friday. No moral victories in this game, similar to what we had said about UConn. Um, I had said that if Carolina would win, I would praise it as a massive thing. And I said that if Carolina loses, that we'll say, look, this is a miss. And so that's what I'm now saying. As I promised you, this is a miss for Carolina. And, and there is a, you know, you th there are good things to take away. They're not moral victories, but there is this whole thing of like, you know what? Did Carolina do a good job fighting back from double-digit deficits on multiple occasions? In fact, as I said, getting the lead one time. Yes, they, they did get that lead. 
of course, then Kentucky quickly went on a 6-0 run to get a five-point lead back. So the, the great push. I'm so grateful for this team's fight and what they did, but it's not enough. You shouldn't, you need to do the things to put yourself in a position where you're not getting down by that big a thing. The problem? Well, I've already said, both teams are very similar. I, I said that on Friday. I, I think that these teams play out and that proved to be true. So what ha- what do you have to do in a game like that to win if you're basically looking at yourself in the mirror? You got to do the little things really well. That's how you come away from a game with a similar team with a victory. And the problem is that Carolina didn't do those little critical things very well in key critical areas. Let's look at what that looked like. What do I mean by that? Well, it it is displayed mostly in this particular game through the differential in field goal attempts. You look at it, Kentucky had 15 more shots than Carolina, 72 to 55. Think about it this way with me. Basketball is all about scoring. I don't know if you're aware of that, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That, that's how you win a basketball game is you score more points than your opponent. How do you go about potentially getting more points? You take more shots. How do you get more shots? You do little things to get those, to steal shots or to create shots or to not lose shots. Things like not turning the ball over, that helps you maintain shots. Things like offensive rebounding or steals, that helps you gain more possessions. More possessions equals more field goal attempts equals more points, right? And so I, um, I in fact, have created my own stat that I call PCS, possessions created and saved, meaning ways that through the course of a basketball game, you either created more possessions for your team to get more shots and more points, or you saved possessions for your team by not turning the ball over. Does that make sense? So the way I evaluate this is I look at each team in terms of turnovers being a minus. I look at it in terms of blocks, but not just blocks, but blocks that you then get possession. Because if I block it out of bounds, it's still the other team's ball. Does that make sense? as well as offensive rebounds, these kind of things. And basically, I get a plus-minus differential. Well, in PCS for this game, Kentucky was a plus 18. That is by far the biggest differential Carolina's had in a game this season, particularly, you know, like um, in terms of PCS in favor of the other team. By far, not even close. So you could even just look at PCS and say, oh, yeah, Carolina did not do the things they needed to do to win a close game by doing the critical things that make up PCS well. Does that make sense? Let me give you the two specific areas. Number one is rebounding. For the first time all season, Carolina had single-digit offensive rebounds. They only got six and 26 defensive rebounds. In totality, um, Kentucky out-rebounded Carolina by 10 in this one. And while Carolina only got six offensive rebounds, Kentucky tripled that, getting 18, 18 offensive rebounds. That's why that PC, part of why that PCS number is so high. And they got, like, Carolina actually had more defensive rebounds, 26 to 24. But it doesn't matter when Kentucky's getting that many. Now, uh, you, you look at the percentages on it, because it's not just about, like, what are, what are the um, totals you have in terms of uh, rebounds. You got to look at the percentages and how that plays out. So UK got 40 point, like their offensive rebounding percentage was 40.9%. Their defensive rebounding percentage was 80%. 
we talk about Carolina and, and coach Davis said this was going to be a critical factor in the game. He's talked about that a lot, both ahead of the UConn and Kentucky games. Carolina has to finish defensive possessions with a rebound. Don't let your opponent get multiple uh, shots at it, multiple cracks at it. Well, when Kentucky's rebounding 40%, 41% essentially of their own misses, that's not going to do it. And so um, offensive rebounds in particular played a major factor of this game, especially down the stretch. I'll just give you two examples. A minute eight left in the game. Carolina's down two. Aaron Bradshaw misses the front end of a one and one. It's like, awesome. Let's get it and go. But two, two Tar Heels, I think it was Cormac Ryan and Jalen Withers, like kind of fought over the ball. If I remember correctly, it bounced off the backboard. Kentucky grabs it back and they pick up another possession. Um, another one there, Carolina forced the ball. I think somebody blocked him. It was a Baycott block out of bounds. Shot clock's down at three. This also late in the game. And on the inbounds, they force a kind of contested three from the corner. It airballs. And it's like, great. Let's go back the other way. Nope. Aaron Bradshaw is right on the other side of the rim. Should he have still been in the game? Um, and has RJ Davis boxed out. He gets the rebound. RJ has to foul him. And so it's like, the, these are the kind of things that happened down the stretch. Three or four critical offensive rebounds for Kentucky that helped them seal the victory when Carolina could have had a chance to get those and go back the other way. Now, another one. So that, that was a key one. The other is turnovers. And this is an area where it's interesting because both teams um, kind of struggled with turnovers. Carolina finished with 17 Kentucky finished with 14. So you look at that and you're like, man, if Carolina had been down around their usual average of, re of turnovers, that could have maybe mitigated some of the rebounding struggles. Does that make sense? And so you, even if you'd just done one of these things a little bit better for Carolina, it was their that 17 was their highest total turnovers of the season. But similar to what we said about rebounds, it's not just about the total. It's about percentages. Why? Well, you expect you're going to have more total turnovers in a game with more possessions. On the flip side, you expect you're going to have fewer turnovers in a game with fewer possessions. So it's all about what percentage of your possessions did resulted in a turnover. That That's more what we're looking at. And that's where you get the tail of Carolina's turnover woes in this game. So the number of possessions on which Carolina committed a turnover throughout the season in a game had never been 20% or higher. They had been under 20% turnover percentage in every game this season. But in this one, it was right at 21.0%. You can't do that and expect to win a high-level basketball game. Now, obviously, a ton of that was in the first half where Carolina committed 11 of the 17 turnovers, and, and it was the early part of the game, and we'll get to that in a little bit as well. But but that's where it is. You, you hamstrung yourself early on by doing that. If not. Carolina might have been in a better position to win this game or already have the lead. So you look at all that, again, in a similar game, things like being out-rebounded so drastically, particularly on Kentucky's offensive rebounds and the turnover percentage being at 21%, those two things combined, and yet you only lost by four points. That's what we're talking about here. You're encouraged on one hand because like, hey, look at how badly we did in those two areas. And only lost by four points. But you're also discouraged because that happened. And so you didn't win. And at the end of the day, as we said, no moral victories. 
wins and losses are what are going to be looked at. The selection committee is not going to go be like, oh, North Carolina played really well, but they, uh, you know. No, it's just like, look, they lost to Kentucky. That That's what the resume shows, and that's where we're at. So um, got, got to clean those things up. You can't have those kind of anomalies. You have to be consistent in this game in and game out. All right, there we go. So missed opportunity, but again, hear me say, here's my glass. It's still half full. Ah, that water's good. All is not lost. Carolina has a lot ahead of it, but it is a challenging road. We'll get to that later in the show. Now, we had our four corners preview on Friday show, and those each turned out to be critical in this game. So our four corners preview is just going to turn into our four corners recap and we got to get our shady stat of the game as well. We'll get to all of those things in just a second. Right after I tell you that this episode of Locked on Tar Heels is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, patience. What brings home the winning trophy is what also keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers to roof racks, exhaust kits to LED headlights and more, whether you're into speed or power or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or you get your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. Folks, I want to remind you that Locked On has launched the first ever national 24-7 sports streaming channel on YouTube. All Locked On, all day long. Uh, like the Locked On College Basketball Show that I co-host is on there every day. All sorts of great content. So make sure you get on there and check it out to learn all about the world of sports. All right, Four Corners Preview. Let's get into this thing. Uh, excuse me, Four Corners Review, Recap. Uh, we're going to be looking at each of the four things from our Four Corners Preview. Number one, we talked about the critical nature of the first four minutes of this game leading to the first media timeout. Why? Because often in this first game back after the finals layoff, there's a lot of rust, a lot of disjointed play. Now, I know that Coach Davis um, throughout his radio show on the week had said and, and in press conferences, look, we're not going to be rusty. We've been getting it hard in practice. And, and I appreciate that. And I respect it. And I hear what he's saying. But there's just nothing to replicate game speed. There's nothing that can replicate what Kentucky brings in terms of length and size and athleticism. And so it's just it's just different. And when you haven't played for almost two weeks, there's going to be some rust there. And that manifested itself in big ways. Carolina had three turnovers on their first four possessions. Um, ended, as we just said, that whole first half with 11 uh, turnovers. At that first media timeout, it was 9-4 to four Kentucky. Uh, Carolina, you know, ultimately got down by 10 points and you start looking at it and you're like, you're going to dig a hole you can't get out of. Now, thankfully, Carolina did and they fought their way back to get it down to two at halftime. But as I just said in the previous segment, you think about what could have been if it were not for that hole. Carolina might have gotten a lead and been able to do the things they needed to to hang on. And I know we're talking about the first four minutes, but for the first 10 minutes in totality, Carolina, to me, 
looked disjointed. They looked like a team that hadn't been playing games for over 10 days. It looked like a team that was at the same time, they're trying to diagnose Kentucky. They're trying to diagnose themselves. And if you got yourself figured out, then you can work more quickly and efficiently to diagnose Kentucky and, and reckon with what they're bringing. That just wasn't meant to be. And so, yes, thankfully they were able to cut into that lead and do so in a serious way, but, but it wasn't enough because they had lost that first four minutes. So hopefully uh, that will not be the case as they play Oklahoma on Wednesday. Second in our four corners recap, we had talked about Cormac Ryan and that hopefully the layoff would be enough to get his ankle back healthy where he could get the lift he needed on his shots and look like himself. We'd been waiting for a Cormac Ryan breakout and boy, did we get it. Cormac Ryan did exactly what we needed. That layoff did wonders for him. However, his first uh, Cormac took the first shot of the game for Carolina, a nice looking three that missed. And I was like, oh, this poor guy, here we go again. Like his shot's just been off and he's not going to find it. Oh no. But after that, Cormac Ryan took 11 more shots in the game and made eight of them. So he was just fine. Thank you very much. He finished with 20 points on eight of 12 shooting, four of seven from three, moving his three-point percentage from like 25% to just shy of 30 now. And again, that's still not where you want it to be, but you see movement in the right progression. And so just got to keep stringing good games together, stringing confident performances together. In fact, he was a big part of helping Carolina get back from that first half deficit, had seven straight of Carolina's points. Um, and in fact, Carolina, you know, while Kentucky kind of went on a seven Oh run early in the second half to push back out, the second half started with a Cormac Ryan bucket to tie the game at 40. And so he was doing great stuff. Like before RJ really took over late, it was Cormac keeping the Tar Heels in the game. That's what we need. And you want to keep seeing that, but the problem, and this is going to lead us into our third part of our four corners recap. I had talked about needing Cormac as a fourth guy to add to what RJ and Harrison Ingram and Armando Baycott were already doing. Unfortunately, in this game, that made him the second guy because the third part of our Four Corners recap is we had said, need a big, big Armando Baycott game and just didn't get it. Armando just, like there were things that were good, like um, kind of putting Aaron Bradshaw in, in a world of, of struggles, you know, he had picked up his fourth foul early in the second half, frankly, picked up his fifth foul in the second half. <laughs> and, and as I said, we'll talk about that more tomorrow. Um, so we did a good job exploiting Aaron Bradshaw, but on the Armando side of things, he finished with just nine points, six rebounds, zero assists and six turnovers. So Armando had six of Carolina's 17 turnovers by himself. Like. You just can't have that from a fifth-year senior. Um, Armando himself finished with four fouls. The first three were all offensive. He had two first-half fouls. Both were settings, you know, called for screens. Now, a lot of times, let's be fair, a lot of times when you're whistled for an illegal screen, that is the problem of the ball carrier who didn't bring, didn't get close enough contact to you, and so you feel like you have to move to get in the way. So that's not all completely on Armando. But still, you can't move. You just let it go by and then you rescreen. And then his third one, 
uh, was also offensive because he had great position, but kind of used a hook to, cl to clear out. I think it was Bradshaw behind him. Maybe it wasn't. Uh, Trey Mitchell, I think it was actually. So uh, just not much of anything from Armando, particularly in the first half. Um, it wasn't much more there in the second. It's just we need, got to have more from Armando. There's got to be consistency, right? Like, so just as Cormac does it, Armando doesn't do enough. And Harrison Ingram didn't have as a uh, consistent enough game either. They're got to have, got to get to the point where it is all of these guys working in tandem. Because while RJ did everything he did, it shouldn't have to be that much on him. All right. The fourth thing in our four corners recap was the free throw line. We talked about how Carolina needs to be able to get there and continue to do the work of making more free throws than their opponent attempts. That did not happen in this game. Carolina was 21 of 27 from the free throw line. That's 77.8%. That's right where they need to be as a team. Obviously, you'd always love to hit more, but their season average is 76, and they're looking great in that regard. So they were above their season average. Um, Kentucky, though, shot 19 of 26. So Carolina had a higher percentage and got to the free throw line one more time than did Kentucky. But here's the issue. Carolina is relying on the free throw line as a critical part of their offense. And so, yes, while they did better in terms of number of attempts and percentage, there's got to be a wider gap there for Carolina to really feel like they're in a good place this year. And here's what I mean by that. In Carolina's 10 games, this was just the third time that a team had been within six free throw attempts of the Tar Heels. Carolina has had more attempts than every one of their opponents other than Villanova. So of those three times a team has been within six free throw attempts of Carolina, you probably guess where this is going. Nova took more. UConn was, had six fewer attempts than Carolina. And Kentucky had one fewer attempts than Carolina. All that to say... This typifies how critical the free throw line is for Carolina because when the Tar Heels attempt seven or more free throws than their opponent, they're seven and up. When Carolina attempts six or fewer free throws than their opponent, they're 0 and three. So that is a critical key we have to watch for all season long. Is Carolina getting to the free throw line seven or more times than their opponent? Now that specific number might shift a little bit as the season goes along, but right now, that is a fact of what the first 10 games of the season have been. All right, so there's your four corners recap. You see how critical each of those were from what we talked about on Friday. Now, the shady stat of the game. This is another very simple demarcation line so far this season. How many points Carolina is allowing their opponent to score? Now, I know it's like, of course, if you allow your opponent to score more points, they're going to win and you are not. I hear that. But look at this dichotomy. In in the games this season where Carolina has allowed 72 or fewer points, they're 6-0. and In the games where Carolina has allowed their opponent to score 80 or more points, they're 1-3, that one win being, being Tennessee. And then there's this gap where Carolina's opponents haven't scored, you know, 73 to 80 points or whatever it is. And so Carolina has this, there's like a wide berth, like the Red Sea, and anything that's like 80 or higher, Carolina is one and three. Anything that's 72 or fewer, Carolina is six and oh. All that to say, Carolina holding down their opponent is critical to their success of winning this season. So just like we looked at with the free throws, the same is true of how many points they're allowing their opponent 
to score. So we'll see how that goes moving forward as well. But that's another um, critical thing this season. Keep your opponent under 72 and you win. Guaranteed. Okay. RJ Davis is killing it. I mean, this dude is on an absolute tear, but here's the problem. He needs more help. Also, where are we at now? I said that all hope is not lost, uh, but that it was a missed opportunity, but there's still a ton ahead of Carolina. What is that? And what does it look like? What's the shape of things now? We're going to get to all of that in just a second. Okay. RJ Davis, my goodness, another fantastic performance. And it, much of it in the second half down the eight, like the final eight minutes of the game is Carolina really, really, really needed him. RJ was eight of 18 from the floor, three of nine from three, eight of nine from the free throw line, seven rebounds, the leading rebounder on the team. You heard, yes, you are hearing me correctly. RJ Davis, not only led the team in points, but also rebounds, uh, had four assists. The blemish was five turnovers. Um, you don't like that, but yeah, there it is. So RJ in totality, I, I hate it because probably what he's walking away really thinking about is those turnovers and that one missed free throw. He had started the game with having made 33 straight, made the next uh, eight to get it up to 41, which ties a Carolina program record, interestingly enough, set by coach Jeff Lebo. And then he missed that one that would have not only broken the record, but it was down the stretch at a critical moment. And so I know RJ is going to be frustrated with that, but I'm, it's just, you're going to miss eventually. And so it's just unfortunate that it came at that time, but he just, he can't be the one to continue shouldering all that load. And by the way, it is kind of funny that, uh, how much it says something that you go eight of nine from the free throw line and it brings your season percentage down. That's how strongly RJ is shooting at the free throw line. He now has five straight games of 26 plus points, six straight games of 20 plus points and has scored 20 or more in seven of Carolina's 10 games this year. Again, RJ Davis, ha, ha, folks, that ACC preseason poll of the, the ACC first and second team. Come on. Big, big, big fat miss. But RJ right now is not only putting up ACC player of the year type numbers, he's putting up all American type numbers. That's what we're talking about. That's where he's at right now. So we'll keep uh, keep an eye on it going forward. But the problem is this. RJ scoring all these points, he's having to shoulder too much of the load. It needs to be more diversified. Honestly, I'm I love that he's scoring all these points. I'd rather see him be able to score less because it meant that his teammates were scoring more. Does that mean like I'd rather see him 15, 16 range and, and others coming up to that level. For example, because he's taken on so much of this role, one of those critical late possessions, Kentucky kind of sold out to stopping him. And so he had to give up the ball. Harrison Ingram got to the free throw line. It was fine. But it's like they know our and and of course RJ was just cooking. I mean he he was drilling. So it was a sight to behold. But it can't be all on him. For example, Kentucky's offensive balance. That's what Carolina needs to get to in this game. Forty-seven of Carolina's eighty-three points, more than half, came just from the combination of RJ Davis and Cormac Ryan. While Kentucky, on the other hand, eight players had seven or more points. 
eight different Kentucky players with seven or more points. That's the kind of offensive balance that makes you unguardable as a team. If it's all on RJ, you can guard that and force somebody else to beat you. That's what Carolina needs to do. Now, where do we go from here? After this loss, what does it mean for Carolina moving forward? Well, plain and simple, it puts a ton of pressure on Wednesday's Oklahoma game. It's like we said during football season, if Carolina had taken care of business against Virginia and Georgia Tech, you're kind of like, all right, we lost at Clemson. It is what it is. But now uh, it is a critical game for resume building, beating Oklahoma. That that incredibly difficult stretch we talked about of, of um, Tennessee, Florida State, UConn, Kentucky, Oklahoma, Carolina's two and two in those games. And, you know, I said, I'd love to go three and one, but two and two would be fine. But that's where you're at. You you have to get a win now to get to two and two. It's not like, hey, we're two and one. And this Oklahoma game is kind of gravy because it could get you to three and one or you fall to two and two and that'd be fine. No, 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 no. Now you're sitting at one and two, two and two, if you include the Florida State game. And you got to get that win against Oklahoma. Now. Uh, Oklahoma won on Saturday, so they're still undefeated. They're still going to be ranked one of just four teams in the country in Division One that's undefeated. And so uh, th- this is a big-time game, massive game for Carolina. It's going to do wonders for their resume if they can get it. But if they lose it, then we're like, we're scratching our heads a little bit heading into ACC play. And we'll deal with that on uh, on Thursday's show after the game. So this is the final chance for a marquee non-con resume building W and Carolina's non-conference strength of schedule is legit. And it's only going to go up when they play Oklahoma. Carolina is just one of a few teams in the power six that rank in the top 16 at strength of non-con strength of schedule. So the resume is in good shape right now, not elite shape, good shape. And this one would do you some wonders and help as like, we're already starting to think about it, but it's these kind of games that really affect your seating come March madness. And keep in mind, the ACC start of play, I know Florida State was an ACC game, but the main chunk, that's no joke either. Three straight road games at Pitt, at Clemson, who's legit. They just took their first loss on Saturday at Memphis, but they're a very strong team. And then at NC State, who hung around with Tennessee for most of Saturday night as well. So a lot of big time stuff upcoming. Quick weekend whip around for us. Women's basketball won on Friday, 96-36 over Western Carolina. Alyssa Utsby had near triple-double numbers, 23 points, nine rebounds, six assists, also four steals and two blocks. Good grief. Wrestling, number 21 in the nation, shut out Morgan State, 36 to nothing in a dual meet on Saturday. They played again, uh, played again, wrestled again on Sunday against App State. I'm actually recording before that happened, so I don't know the outcome, but we all do as we're watching and listening back. Moving forward, not much going on for Carolina Athletics. Literally only two of two events in the upcoming week. That's women's basketball and the Jumpman Invitational on Tuesday. They're also playing Oklahoma. And then men's basketball against Oklahoma in the Jumpman Invitational on Wednesday. After that, nothing in Carolina Athletics till a week later when the football team has their bowl game against West Virginia. So kind of a, a dry season in, at, around Christmas here, but that's where we're at. All right, folks, thanks so much for tuning in to kick off the week here on Locked on Tar Heels. It's been great to be together. If you'd like to have more conversation, again, come join our Discord. The link to that's in the show notes. You can email us, lockedontarheels at gmail.com. 
Also, please don't forget to subscribe to the show on video and audio. That does so much to help spread the word. We'd love also if you do that by rating the show or reviewing it wherever you can. Five stars. Talk about why you love Locked on Tar Heels. Also, if you're watching, smash the like button. And we'd love to hear your comments on this game against Kentucky. Hey, even after a loss, it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. We'll talk again tomorrow. But until then, peace.